Hello and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. Have a really, really good conversation today for you guys. Andrew Chelney, host of Chell Squared. You see me retweet him a lot on Twitter. He's a fellow diehard, diehard hockey fan. And we had a really nice discussion about what the Rangers can learn from the teams that are already in the postseason. We bounced around from all of the series that have played so far as of the time we'd recorded. We recorded on Monday afternoon, so we talked a bit about what the Rangers could learn from Boston and Washington, from Minnesota and Vegas, from the Islanders and the Penguins, And, of course, Florida and Tampa Bay. So we had a really good discussion. If you're a hockey fan who kind of feels like there isn't a great sense of what's going on in practice in the league, that a lot of the people who are driving the conversation, especially in the New York market, are a little bit out of touch. They're very much boomerific in their views and perspectives on what causes success in the NHL, why teams are good. This is the podcast for you, because Andrew and I touch on a lot of the things that I hear people complain about in the coverage of the NHL, and specifically the Rangers. So, I hope you guys enjoy today's conversation, but before I get to the show with Andrew, I do have to remind everyone to subscribe to the show. If you are using Apple Podcasts, you are a special one, because you could leave a review. If you are on the Apple Podcasting app, you go to the show's page, you go all the way to the bottom... There's going to be five clear stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Beneath that is a button that says write a review in purple letters. If you could hit that, leave me a couple words of encouragement. I'd really appreciate it. If you're on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, throw a follow button that shows why. Getting good guests. The NHL playoffs is my bread and butter. It's up there with the NFL draft, with football season, college football season. I really know I really know my hockey, and I've got some good guests lined up for the rest of this week after Andrew. So, all of that said, I hope you guys enjoy today's show. I will see you guys in one second. And McDonough looking to spring the break. It's Braden Points! Scores! Braden Points! With a minute 14 left in regular has given the lightning the lead and as promised welcome on the host of the chell squared podcast really good warzone player how you doing andrew i'm doing well man i actually got two wins before i came on how about you man i'm chilling i got my outline together put together my notes to do the show but yeah andrew's really good at call of duty it kind of it's (laughs) kind of scary when i die and then i'm spectating him and then he's he's got really good quick twitch he's got really good quick twitch I mean, again, during the pandemic, like what else are you supposed to be doing? So I, I don't know if really good. I don't know about that. I mean, that might be a stretch, but I mean, I've been, I have been playing quite a, quite a lot since, I mean, we're kind of all in a pandemic here. So what else are we supposed to do? That's very fair. So you are here to talk about the NHL playoff series that have already started. And we're going to look ahead to some of the ones that are going to start on Monday night. And we're going to tie it to the Rangers in an interesting way that I forget who wrote the column a couple weeks ago. But my idea is pretty straightforward for this episode. We're going to talk about what the teams that are in the playoffs are successful at and how that ties to the Rangers not being successful, whether it's the way the roster is constructed, the style of play, the coaching philosophy, the way they don't use players like Brett Howden. There's a lot of things we're going to touch on in this. So I think I have to start here with you, like I start with every guest, because this show is really about fans and their relationship with sports. What's your relationship with sports been like in your life, Andrew? What was your entry point? Who were your influences, your earliest memories of sports? Um, I mean, I know I got into hockey because I, I was I, when I was a little kid. My dad was watching the Rangers game, and I just sat down and watched with him. But I never, I just, I never got back up. Like I've been watching hockey ever since. Um, and you know, watching Sam Rosen and listening to Sam Rosen and Joe McAlady do the Rangers games. And uh, growing up, I, I knew I wanted to get into hockey. Knew I wanted to get into sports, and that kind of transition because I played goalie for a little bit, but I clearly wasn't good enough. So I transitioned <laughs> from on the ice to reporting on it being a being a 
you know, just being a reporter or being a broadcaster or one of those fields. And then I figured out like, oh, hey, like this is what I want to do for a career. Um, and then I got got into Syracuse for broadcasting, did that, got my undergrad. Um, and I did a bunch of stuff, uh, mostly writing, mostly a lot of reporting stuff. But I covered every sport possible. I covered <laughs> women's field hockey, women's basketball, men's basketball, um, Jim Beheim is a nice guy, except when you ask him stupid questions, then he'll get mad at you. Um, but yeah, like I also covered, I was the senior uh, reporter for the men's club team at Syracuse for a year. That was awesome. I wish I would have done that longer. Um, I graduated, so I couldn't do that anymore. Um, and now I work uh, in basketball. So it's, it's basketball media. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, I mean, working in sports is, there's, there's definitely more difficult jobs out there. Cause at the end, like we talk about the bouncy sports ball. So it, it's, <laughs> it could be a lot worse. What was your moment of realization? Like, yeah, sports are my thing. What was that kind of eureka moment for you? If there is a specific one that stands out. Um, I mean, I don't know. Cause I've always liked sports. I've, I was crazy about hockey when I was a little kid as well. I'm still crazy about it now. But especially when I was a little kid, I played the NHL games for so long that my parents started to get concerned because like I would just like if I wasn't at school or if I wasn't like at the park or whatever, just playing around uh, as a kid, like I would be pretty much just be playing NHL and learning everybody's names and playing those games a lot. And I got into basketball, you know, Knicks fan, unfortunately. Um, well, not well, fortunately now, because they're in the fourth seed and they're going to be a home playoff team for, for once in the first like 75 years. So that, so that's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I got into other sports in college. Um, but growing up, like hockey was number one for me. And, uh, I will talk to the wall about hockey at three in the morning. Like my friends know that I'm psychotic about it. And it's just something that if I didn't have hockey, I, I definitely wouldn't be, it's, it's funny. Cause I say that if I didn't love hockey as much as I do, it wouldn't be working in basketball, but it's true. <laughs> Cause I don't know if because hockey got me into sports so without mm -hmm. hockey like i don't know what i'd be doing right now it comes across on your podcast you have a very genuine enthusiasm that you still love hockey and a lot i feel that as people in sports media get older they kind of get a little bit more jaded and they kind of just get into that rhythm and routine where i don't want to say they lose the enthusiasm for the sport but it definitely comes across of more of them doing their job as opposed to people who are a little bit younger in their cycles of their sports media careers like you and i who are still like yeah i want to watch nine hours of hockey write about it do a podcast about it make a youtube video about it and just keep talking about it to anyone who will listen i definitely feel the enthusiasm is there and it's why your podcast is very, it comes across so well well thank you man i appreciate that and again like I, I i feel at the end of the day that if you're not passionate about something then there's a reason for you to be doing it um yeah. it, whether it be a podcast or anything like uh, in my pot i do a podcast about hockey because i really enjoy the sport and i really enjoy talking about it so it, if you're gonna do something that you think is it, you that you're gonna be like if you do something that you are doing only because you think it's going to do well, then there's no passion behind it. You got to do it yeah. with the expectation that no one is listening, but <laughs> you're just so passionate about it and you love it so much that you're going to do it anyway. Like, that's why you got to get into something as opposed to, Oh, well, this is the new thing. I should just do this like that. That's not the reason why you should do it because people will hear it in your voice yeah. and in the way that you do whatever it is that you're doing that you're not personally invested. And if you got, if you, especially if you're going to be behind the mic, you got to be personally invested. Exactly. Exactly. So the last part of this conversation is the obvious. Are you a realist, a pessimist, or an optimist about your sports teams? Um, I mean, I've, I've been a Knicks fan my whole life, so I've been, <laughs> it's, that's a tough one to answer, but I'm an optimist from, from that perspective where like things are finally starting to look up. The Julius Randall was playing at an MVP level, most improved player. That's a lock. Um, RJ Barrett's looking real good. I mean, the Knicks have been looking good. Tom Thibodeau has to be in the running for coach of the year. I think Mon Monty Williams is going to win that one, but the, but Tom is, is not far behind. And I mean, I can, like, I'm a Rangers fan at heart and I grew up a Rangers fan, but obviously as a, as a podcaster that covers the whole league, I love the, the league objectively. And I say I'm a, I'm a hockey fan first and Rangers fan second. So, you know, I'm still watching the games with my dad and we're still rooting, you know, the team on when, when I'm watching, but, um, 
it's it's a lot of fun and like and I don't know I feel like if you if you work in sports and you don't enjoy sports then you should get out of sports. You're absolutely right, and I've gone back and forth because this season was a mess from a Rangers perspective. Like you talked about on your last episode of Shell Squared, it was a roller coaster. It was soap opera. There wasn't much hockey going on. There was only soap operas. So right. this year, there, it was the roller coaster. You came into the season thinking, okay, maybe the team won't be that bad. You get you drop Keandre Miller in for Mark Stahl. You put Lafreniere in for a tertiary piece. And you're thinking, okay, maybe they could be halfway decent. They have that really bad first month where they just cannot buy a goal because Zbigniew isn't playing well. And the team is just like, we're going to keep giving him 22 minutes a night. He's going to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. It doesn't happen. You have the D'Angelo stuff. You have Panarin take the leave of absence. You have Truba and Kreider both get hurt. You have everybody get fired the last week of the season. You have that really ugly series against the Islanders right before everyone gets fired. You have the Tom Wilson incident. I know I'm probably missing one or two things in there, but this season was really draining. And at times I found myself saying, they're not making the playoffs. And even if they do make the playoffs, they're going to get smoked in the first round. So would it really be worth going through that emotional trauma of a really bad first round exit after what happened last year, where you could tell that series kind of weighed on them. And Every single person who's even tangentially involved with what happened last summer constantly refers to, yeah, you know, in the bubble, we just, we didn't play our game. We didn't do what we needed to do. And it led to a thousand think pieces about toughness and checking, even though, you know, that's what everybody who involved with the team said was the problem that they got away from their game and tried to hit the shit out of everything. And it's why they lost. So in terms of your emotions for this season, where were you at? Because I know a lot of people fell into the either this year doesn't matter, it's about next year anyway, or you came in like me thinking, all right, I want to see some actual progress here. I mean, there was progress. And I think the expectation of them making the playoffs was strange, to say the least. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Jim Dolan supposedly had the expectation of this is going to be a playoff team, which, yeah, I don't know where he got that from. I Especially, it, it, here's like my biggest concern with that is well, if you had that expectation, then where was that at the deadline? Because there yeah. were no trades done to make this team a playoff team. So that expectation had to have come either after the after the deadline or Jeff Gordon just didn't act on it. And yeah. I don't know which one is true and which one is which, but at the end of the day. That is a big question in and of itself because we don't know the answer to that. And so I didn't think this was going to be a playoff team mainly because, well, you got Lafreniere, who's barely 18. You got a lot of these kids that are barely 19, 20 years old. I say that's a 24 kids, (laughs) quote unquote kids. Um, But there's there's, there's so much youth on this team. I think they were the youngest team in the NHL or one of the youngest teams in in the NHL. So, and they still almost made the playoffs. They were right in it until the last week of the season where they, gotten brutally destroyed by the Islanders and then that was it but they were in it for pretty much the entire season and so that I feel like was all you could have asked from that group of guys because I mean again they weren't especially in the division that they were in there's there was no legitimate expectation at least from my perspective that this was going to be a playoff team because they weren't better than that than the four that made the playoffs anyway and these are kids that are figuring out how to play at the NHL level and figuring how to play together. So to me, I didn't see th- th- there being a pathway to, to, to a playoff spot, but I guess Jim Dolan saw it differently. The only pushback I will have on that is you saw the spurts. I don't know how much of a data person you are, but in the publicly available information we have from the expected goals models, that kind of thing, The Rangers were good, but they could have been really good from an offensive perspective. And their problem was finishing, which tells you one of two things. Either the guys they have just aren't good finishers, which to some degree is true. I mean, we've been lamenting Chris Kreider's inability to finish the wrist shot since he got to the team 10 years ago. Yes, that was really 10 years ago. That's how old we are now, which is very, very awful. But And there's the underlying, is the are the players on the team being put in the most optimal position to succeed, which is, I think, where we're going to find common ground in our discussion here is I really felt like they never really found what they were supposed to be this year. They, There were different versions of a team where 
They slowed down the pace of the game. If you look at the shots versus this year versus last year, they averaged about five fewer offensive scoring chances per game. They take Tony D'Angelo out of the lineup for all of his warts as a defenseman. He did help create offense because he was a good skater, get the puck out of the defensive zone, create offense, that kind of thing. I want to get a sense of where you were at in terms of just, is the team playing the best version of their game? Well, Throughout the season, we saw that the Rangers were very willing to give up the neutral zone when they were defending. And that's yeah. a critical problem that was never resolved. And I think that's kind of a, an issue that a lot of people are glossing over as to why David Quinn was fired. Uh, I think that system is inherently flawed because when you're defending, you can't – you the middle of the ice is so important to, to – clog up and to defend as well as possible so that nobody enters your zone. That's kind of the goal of hockey is to not have the puck in your own zone because that's how goals are scored against you. So, and you, then before they get into your zone, where's the puck in the neutral zone? And that is where you have to defend as well as you can. The Rangers didn't do that. And they were, they were very willing to give teams that lane. And that led to already drawn up plays already drawn up situations that teams practice every team practices neutral zone plays and how to get the puck to where and all, and where do you skate? Where, where does that happen? Everybody practices that. So when you give up the middle of the ice, that is going to happen a lot to you. And that's going to lead to a lot of goals against. So, and, and when you have a player like Libor Hayek, who <laughs> can't really skate, and doesn't really have that defensive IQ and you pair him up with Brendan Smith, who sometimes can show flashes of being good. And then there's other times where he just dis- like, does some crazy thing that just baffles all, just baffles everybody. And I th- there was a goal earlier on the season where Brendan Smith was along the, it was against Buffalo. I think, it, I think like that was, I think it was the a Jeff Skinner goal where Jeff Skinner was all alone in front of, in front of the ice Brendan Smith was in the on the left side boards somewhere. Libor Hayek was nowhere to be found, and then Jeff Skinner like easily scores a goal. I think I think Georgiev was in there. Maybe I don't remember who it was, but either way, like when you have defensemen like that, there's a, n- nothing was going to help anyway. But the the neutral zone is really where all a lot of the problems really kind of. It kind of just really highlighted where the deficiencies were in the system itself. And that kind of led to, if you give opponents speed coming up through the middle, they will hurt you. This is not your beer league, you know, hockey team. This is a professional team that practices neutral zone plays every single practice. Yeah. That's, that's going to hurt you. I, one of the things that you mentioned in there that ties back to your earlier point about the playoff expectations, can you really expect a team that's third pair coming into the year was, you know, Brendan Smith and Tony D'Angelo or Jack Johnson and Tony D'Angelo or after you exiled Tony D'Angelo becoming Brendan Smith and Lieber Hayek? No team in the playoffs has a defensive pair that bad. There are some pretty dinged up teams, like even the Winnipeg Jets who have maybe two NHL defensemen in their six no team has a third pair that bad. Uh, high, like you said, no awareness. Hayek constantly looking down at the puck in between his skates, not playing it. Brendan Smith occasionally making flashes of the player he once was. And just a lack of awareness, which really is a good way to tie into what you were talking about in the neutral zone and awareness and being prepared. I really did feel like... I know this was written by a few different people. I think Larry Brooks wrote it. I'm pretty sure Carp and the Athletic wrote it too, that there was the disconnect going on, that the players wanted to do one thing and Quinn wanted them to do another thing. And I really think that kind of manifested itself in the last month of the season where it kind of seemed like everyone was just kind of, I don't want to say going through the motions because that's a little bit disrespectful to people playing professional hockey. But like you said, in the neutral zone, the effort wasn't there. There wasn't a, oh, my defenseman's in trouble. I need to get to somewhere so he can pass it to me. And just a disconnect. And you saw the little cracks. You saw the D'Angelo thing happen. You take what you will for the reports about what happened between Keandre Miller and D'Angelo. You see what happened down here, the, down the stretch with Panarin, where nobody kind of jumped in, even though, you know, who's really going to jump in if both Truba and Kreider aren't in the lineup, but a real clear disconnect. And I think that feeds into the bigger problem. Like you said, 
where if the expectations was the playoffs, what did you do to help make that happen? Because it wasn't the roster itself. It wasn't the coach. It wasn't the strategy. It wasn't the compete level. Where was the plan? I said this when he was first signed and Jack Johnson being signed was such a clear and bright red flag that Jeff Gordon didn't know how to address the blue line problem. It, yes. it was so blatantly obvious because Jack Johnson is far and above. And listen, again, all the love to him in the world. Like he could be a great person and I'm not talking about him as a human being. I'm talking about him as a hockey player. My guy doesn't know how to defend. He constantly can't he, He's constantly getting beat, uh, whether it be defending the blue line or defending a, an automatic rush. He, this man is constantly, constantly getting beat. Uh, his offense is literally doesn't exist. And so if you have a defenseman that can't produce offensively and also can't defend well, then I don't know what he's here for. And the fact that Jeff Gordon saw all of his deficiencies and still signed him was a clear red flag that he didn't know how to properly address the blue line. And the reason why Lieber Hayek and also Brett Howen keep kept playing and I said this on Twitter multiple times and on the podcast, I, I, I believe also, is that, well, he needs something to show for the McDonough-Miller trade. The trade, mm-hmm. he, got a, he got a first-round pick. That's great. But the, the two big also uh, pieces, a part of that was Brett Howen, who was a first-round pick, and Libor Hayek, who I also believe was a first-round pick. That Those two guys were the the crown jewels and they also got Vlad Nemestikov. But at the end of the day, it was, it was the, the pick and also these two guys. And he kept putting them on the ice because he could have sent them down to the AHL if he wanted to, because that's where they needed to be this season anyway, but he didn't do that. Yeah. He kept them on the NHL roster. Libor Hayek did not skate particularly well, does not have great defensive IQ. And Brett Howden literally didn't do anything like, <laughs> and and again, and again, I, I'm not I'm not talking negatively about him as a person. He could be a great person. I don't know. I don't know how he is as a person, but as a hockey player, I mean, I I trust Igor Shosturkin with the puck <laughs> so much more than I do Brad Howden because whenever he had the puck in the offensive zone, the offense died, and you saw that every you saw that game in and game out. The the very limited times where he had possession of the puck, he either just dumped it in or lost it immediately, or somebody better than him took the puck away from him he never he never was a driver of the offense and he's he's still very young and there's still time for him but i think at the end of the day uh he should have had some time in the ahl to, to get that sorted out maybe a little bit that didn't happen and that's another big problem that jeff gordon just didn't figure out he he clearly lost the mcdonough miller trade he kept trying to force the issue it backfired and here we are one thing that you just said what in that part that made a lot of sense that really jumped out to me is they don't understand what they're looking for in defensemen. And you can kind of tell because they've thrown shit at the wall more than once. They brought in McQuaid right before the season started. What was that? 2018. Just to be, yeah, he, he, this is what we need in an NHL defenseman, a guy with no foot speed, not really any puck skills. Hayek, they forced into the lineup a few times. I mean, Hayek still has less than 100 NHL games, and you can tell he's probably a seventh defenseman, AHL, career AHL guy kind of ceiling. I think the most obvious explanation of them still struggling to identify the modern NHL defenseman is the reason you and I know each other, and that's Truba. I think Truba is the perfect encapsulation of, we think defense is this, when in reality, defense is more of this. I understand why they thought if they just dropped Truba in here, he could be the number one defenseman, drive play, power play, penalty kill, all of that. In Winnipeg, that wasn't really his thing. If you go back and look at his time in Winnipeg, he was always the number two or number three defenseman. He was never the individual driver of play. It was he was riding shotgun with someone, whether it was on that first pair when they were playing Bufflin on the offside and him, or when it was with Josh Morrissey. And yes, Josh Morrissey obviously hasn't played as well as he did when he was with Truba now away from him. But I think Truba's the most obvious example of what you were saying, that they really don't understand defense because they bring in D'Angelo. He can create offense, but he can't play defense. And I do think they've gotten lucky. I think you mentioned it quite a bit in when you were talking about it with Ryan Mead that Gorton got lucky a lot here, and that kind of helps his legacy because 
Fox kind of forced his way here. Truba forced his way here, even though he hasn't really worked yet. And we're going to talk about Truba a little more. But big picture wise, I do think it's the most obvious thing you were saying. The defense hasn't worked and they still don't really know what they need from their defensemen. The Rangers were just really lucky that Adam Fox wanted to be a Ranger because if yeah. Adam Fox didn't want to be a Ranger, well, then who's your number one defenseman? Is it Truba? Because it's not. Because it's not, it can't be Truba. Well, then who is? And then they don't have one. If if Adam Fox doesn't want to be a Ranger, that then their blue line is in critical danger. But luckily, Adam Fox wanted to be for the Rangers. Luck, uh, luckily, he wanted to be a Ranger so that they have that number one defenseman and they can plug and play as they wish for his defensive par- partner, which could be Lindgren, it could be Truba, it could be somebody else. Lindgren, by the way, has been fantastic for them yeah. since being a literal throw-in in the Rick Nash trades, which which I talked about in the, in the episode as well with Ryan Mead, that uh, that trade is probably his best as a Ranger as, as the Rangers GM because Rick Nash was, the, was was a Boston Bruin for six minutes, and they got Ryan Lindgren and Ryan Spooner, who turned out to be Ryan Strom later on, <laughs> and that was a great trade for Jeff Gordon and the Rangers. But yeah, I mean, they, he got really lucky with Lafreniere. He got really lucky with Kako. He got really lucky that Fox wanted to be a Ranger. And if those three things didn't happen, where is this team right now? They're kind of, yeah. they would be in big trouble. They do have yeah. a lot of prospects and that's, that, that's really good on the, on the, the scouting system and the scouts and everybody involved. But who would be on the roster if they didn't, if if those three very lucky things didn't happen to the organization, well, where would they be? And <laughs> that and that's and that's a question for Jeff Gordon more so than anybody else. Yeah. So now that we've kind of laid the bones of this conversation, the real problems with the team, the no clear cut understanding of what you need from certain players, not really having total buy in from the players, a coach who. I can't say Quinn was horrendous, but I definitely think there were flaws in his decision-making and his game management, especially. Let's talk about it in relation to teams that are in the playoffs. So the first series I wrote down was Boston and Washington. So from a roster construction standpoint, I think Boston is probably your gold standard where you have two, three guys who all make about the same. You have Marshawn, Posternock, and Bergeron all around 7 million, and no one makes more than them. And I know they're, the culture is kind of changing slowly but surely in hockey to be a little bit more like basketball, but and convincing guys to take less money isn't the most pro player thing. And as a player empowerment guy, I understand that's kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. But from a cultural standpoint and a roster building standpoint, if the leader of your team, Patrice Bergeron, says, this is all I'm making – that kind of sets the tone that nobody else is going to take more money than him. And it gives you so much flexibility. I mean, this is a team that got Taylor Hall for a bag of chips and now you can extend Taylor Hall long-term. And I think the Bruins are the ideal way to build your team. And it's kind of hard to do that in today's league. Cause you look at the Leafs, you look at Tampa Bay, you look at Vegas, those teams all had to give their big players nine, 10 million a year. And I don't think it's practical to approach every team build from Boston's perspective, but I do think that's the gold standard in terms of team building. Yeah, I mean, but it's easier said than done, right? Yeah. I mean, you need players that are willing to do that, and it's getting tougher and tougher by the year to do that. And I don't blame the players because at exactly. the end of the day, I mean, first of all, this is your job, and you want as much money as you as possible in any job. Right? Yeah. You'd rather want more money than less money when doing the same amount of work. Like that's kind of, that's the point of having a job, right? Is to be able to afford everything that you want and be, you know, have a roof over your head and all that. And the more money you have, well, the easier that becomes. And so I don't blame, I don't blame the players for wanting more money. Um, but it is harder to get people, the players to buy in to, to taking less. And again, I don't blame them at all for that. Um, and, well, you see it in, in some teams, but in, but in Boston especially, they at least like this current core players. But Patrice Bergeron has been there forever. Marchand has been there forever. Krejci has been there forever. Yeah. Rask has been there forever. And so, yeah, I mean, when you have players that are all superstar level players that are 
on a team for a long time and all like each other, I would assume so because they've been on they've been there for forever now. Uh, it's easier for for all of them to get together and be like, okay, well, we can't all stay together if, and and be as competitive as we can be if we all demand ten whatever eleven million dollars a year. So let's figure out a way to stay together and build off of our talent while not making league minimum. And I think, I mean, I don't know if they had that concrete conversation, but I'm sure it was discussed amongst themselves at one point or another, because there's no other way that the salaries would have been as similar as, as they are without them kind of having some sort of conversation about it. Absolutely. And it's going to become a point in two years from now, three years from now, when, all of the young guys who have been here for the Rangers, when you talk about Fox, Kako, Lafreniere, Keandre Miller, do they have a positive enough experience together where they'd be willing to either do the bridge deal and get them closer to unrestricted free agency? Or can you talk one of them into the, we want you to be here for, for a long time, but we have a lot of guys we got to pay here. And I know this is less than you would get on the open market, Adam Fox, but if you want to be here for eight years, we'll give you seven and a half million right now. That's a lot less than he could get in unrestricted free agency four years from now. But do you want to be here that bad? And like you said, this get as much money as you can as a professional athlete. You never know when you're going to be done, especially in a sport like hockey, where one bad bounce, one hit to the head might be it for you. But from a culture perspective, from a team building perspective, the Rangers are going to have to start being a little bit more careful with the things they do. I mean, I was against the Kreider contract when they gave it. I was pretty against the Truba contract when they gave it. They got to start being a little bit more careful with their money, and they need to start building a positive direction for these young guys to grow up in, to feel like, okay, this organization's heading in the right direction. I want to be here my entire career kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the expectation when they gave the Truba contract was that the cap was going to keep going up. Keep going up, yeah. Nobody, obviously, nobody envisioned that the pandemic was going to hit and the cap was going to remain flat. So if if that if the contract were to happen even a year after uh, they gave it to them, maybe it could have been smaller, who knows. But the fact of the matter is that they expected one thing because that's been the way of life for the – for everybody for, for pretty much the entire existence. And now all of a sudden there's a, a world changing pandemic in which, you know, there's so many, so many people are dying and, and league is losing money. Everybody's losing money and the cap is flat and nobody envisioned it. And I, and I don't really want to put a lot of blame on the Rangers for, for giving that kind of contract, because again, like it, it seems like a lot and it is a lot, but Nobody thought that the cap would remain flat, especially with this new ESPN deal. Yeah. The expectation even before, because there were rumblings that ESPN was going to be the new TV partner and the league and the cap was going to rise a lot. And so $8 million back then didn't seem like a bad long-term investment because the cap was going to be much higher than it was at the time. And then everything shut down. So from that perspective, obviously it doesn't look great knowing what we know now but there's just no way that we could that yeah. that anybody could have known back then what we do now so yeah i mean the truba contract isn't great but if everything was normal and none of this would have happened then i don't think it would be as as big of a deal as it currently is the trider the trider the, the Kreider contract <laughs> Um, yeah i there's you can look at it both ways there's been times this season where Kreider has been uh, th that he looks like a superstar player and he's scoring goals and he's throwing his body around and he's making plays, driving the offense. And then there's weeks at a time where he where I don't hear his name called once. So giving a player like that a long-term deal is dangerous because you never know what kind of player you're going to get in a game. So that, but may maybe they expose him to Seattle. Maybe they don't. Maybe they have some trade up their sleeve that may, maybe they do in the offseason because, I mean, they gave him that contract, but also Jeff Gord gave him that contract, not yeah. Chris Drury. So, and Chris Drury was a part of that decision process, but 
who's to say that Drury ultimately agreed with that with that extension? We don't know yet, and we'll we'll know more in the off season because that there's going to be a lot of stuff to get through uh, before puck drop in October probably. Um, but we'll we'll see we'll know more for sure after the season. So on the opposite end of that, against Boston, you have the Capitals, and I think the obvious thing to compliment the Capitals on is being able to play that skilled style of hockey while also still being hard-nosed. It helps when Ovechkin likes to throw his body around. It helps when you have a Tom Wilson. But that team plays that up-and-down north-south hockey that the old people really like. And I want to say it's more than that, but I think at face value, that is the most enviable thing about the Capitals from a Rangers perspective is all of those guys, when they have the puck on their stick, they know what to do. They know where it needs to go, and they never look out of their depth. That game on Saturday night was electric. Those two teams were going at each other. They were throwing their weight around. They were creating a lot of offense, and it was a very fun style of hockey to play. And the Rangers haven't really played that fun hockey for more than a week and a half at a time in the last two and a half years. Well, yeah, but you also got to think about it. Like Ovechkin's been around the league for forever. Backstrom's yeah. been around the league for forever. You got Carlson. You got these guys, Oshie, that have that. Th- this is not their first rodeo, and I I feel like it's it's difficult to compare these two teams because one is a veteran lineup that has had their core for a long time, whereas the Rangers are clearly in a transition period and now have these very young kids that are learning to play at the NHL level. So, I mean, yeah, as a Rangers fan, if you are a Rangers fan and you watch the Capitals play, it's a lot of fun. Even if you're just a hockey fan and you watch the Capitals play, they, they, it's a fun it's a fun team to watch. But I think it's difficult to compare because, again, like the, the cores are so vastly different. Also, Ovechkin's the, kind of the greatest goal scorer of all time. <laughs> yeah, so, that helps. Uh, it kind of, it helps. Um, and Tom Wilson likes to kill people on the ice. So, and it, and it pretends not to. So it, it's, it's difficult to compare the teams just because of how different their current tra- trajectories are. Do you think that with time, what, what it, the players who've kind of gotten that label of being soft can kind of shed that? Because I feel like you can do that in today's NHL because I know pretty much the Brit, the consensus New York of the New York hockey media was Buchnevich is a soft player. This is what he is. He's never going to really get that defensive 200 foot part of his game. And we saw it with time. He figured out the 200 foot part of his game. He was probably their best penalty killer this year. And he kind of does play with that snarl. We see whenever they play the Bruins, he's always the one that if Marchand is fucking with someone, he's the one who's going to go and shove Marchand or cross check him. And I feel like to your point that these guys are so young. I feel like if you give Kako another year or two, he's going to keep getting a little bit bulkier. He's going to add a little bit of a snarl. Lafreniere is going to come back 5, 10, maybe 15 pounds heavier in the fall from just having NHL nutrition and NHL offseason for a full training cycle. And with time, I feel like, to your point, the Rangers can get closer to the the straight line, the the hard-nosed guys, just with time and experience because Buchnevich is a perfect example. First of all, like nobody ever calls McDavid soft, right? Yeah. Like McDavid doesn't really hit people, but nobody yeah. calls him soft because he's too busy scoring goals. And the the thought process is, oh, like this this player is soft or whatever. First of all, it's really difficult to shed a label because once yeah. once a label is placed on somebody, it's really it's really hard for that for people's idea of you to change, um, even if you're a completely different person than you were at the time of the label. It, people just have their assumptions and it's very difficult for them to change that about you. Um, whether that be in sports or, I mean, that could, I guess that could be a life, life thing as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but nobody, like nobody calls McDavid a soft player, but he's not out here throwing his body around like a Vetchkin or, or whoever insert player here. He doesn't do that, but nobody has a problem with him. Cause I mean, he's cause he's too busy putting pucks in, in the back of the net. Yeah. So the idea is that, oh, well, Buchnevich is soft, even though he's been one of the best players on Rangers this season. Gakko has turned from a defensive liability in his uh, rookie season to being a bright spot on, on the yeah. Rangers uh, defensively this season in, in, in a sophomore campaign. So I, labels are, are ridiculous, especially when, you, when you're talking about players that 
haven't played a lot in the NHL. Uh, Buchnevich is 26, I think, at this point. But the idea of him being soft is ridiculous. It's just wrong, especially if you watch him play. He's he's not afraid to throw the body around. He's always in the mix uh, in terms of fighting. But he, not every player has to fight. I, I, yeah. I feel like I feel like the idea is every player has to throw their body around. Every player has to be physical. Which, if you have the puck on your stick, you can't also you be physical at the same time which is the case with McDavid. McDavid doesn't throw a lot of hits. Why? Because he has the puck on his stick a lot, and he scores a lot of goals. He doesn't have to be physical. He's not a physical player. And so the idea of, oh, like that person is soft or this player is whatever, like, it's it's ridiculous. And I think we shouldn't think of players as that. Unless unless you see somebody actively afraid of going into the into the corners and going for a puck battle or, or just constantly getting out of the way of, of any altercation, then you could say something about that. But there's, this is the NHL. It's not, this is not beer league. Like nobody's, there's no such thing as being soft in the toughest league in the world. It's just, that doesn't exist. Hey, I, I'm in agreement with you. It just really seems like how the last, after how the last two weeks of the Rangers season ended, that seems to be the prevailing narrative that, I mean, you saw it after the game, the Wednesday night game against the Capitals, someone in the media, I've, they, in the clip I saw, the reporter didn't say their name, but they said something to Smith and was like, the Rangers are viewed as a soft team. And Smith goes, do you think we're soft? And Guy goes, no, I don't think you're soft. Well, then you have your answer. And it really does seem that you get, people get way too caught up in one or two games. Yeah, it was frustrating to see Panarin get ragdolled and no one kind of jump in to help him. And it was frustrating to see them get ragdolled by the Islanders over the weekend. What was that, like three weeks ago? But I don't think softness is the problem. I think you know what prevents the- that, though? Scoring more goals. You know, the other exactly. Team. Exactly. And they couldn't that's score. Exactly, so that's exact that's exactly what I said. Yeah, great. We got into seven fights. We lost the game four to yeah. two and never had a chance of winning. That didn't accomplish anything. Exactly. So we're definitely in the same wavelength there. Islanders and Pittsburgh is interesting because I don't think these are in terms of team building, I do think these are good examples of what a good coach can do. I know in our hockey circles, there's really only like five good coaches in the whole league, like Rod the Bod, John Cooper, Trotz. I'd say Mike Sullivan after this season has kind of inserted himself in that discussion, but it's a good way to transition to talking about the Rangers coaching search in relation to this because both of these teams have really good coaches, and I think this might be the best chess match in terms of strategy of any of these first-round series. Is it Gallant or Bust for you? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there's there's pros and cons to a lot of the big names being thrown around. Um I, I think the Rangers need an offensively minded coach because because of Definitely. how how incredible their offense could potentially be, they need somebody that will allow their offensive pieces to do what they do best. Because you saw it with Quinn a lot of the times where, it, especially because this season was very strange because this, the Rangers were playing seven teams the whole season, and yet whenever they faced a new team, they looked totally unprepared for the first half of the game. And it, yeah. like, it just baffled me every because it happened constantly, especially in the first period. They would get demolished by whoever they were playing, and then they figured it out later in the game. But at, but at a lot of the points, it was already too late. So with, with coaching, you really need somebody that will uh, – that is – you need a perfect package and that's true for every team, but you really need a play. You need to really need a coach behind the bench that will drive the offense. Cause the blue line is coming together and, uh, and you just need a, you need a better scheme because if the yes. scheme is better then the, then the defense will be better because the, the blue line names in and of themselves are not that bad. If I would imagine Hayek and Smith, I don't know about Hayek, maybe Hayek stays, but Smith, I don't, I don't foresee him being on the team. Um, they, they probably will get better people to, to flush out that blue line. Um, but the, the scheme has to change and the team just, if the team can compete in the first periods, that would be great. So <laughs> with, with Gallant, I mean, I would, he's definitely an improvement over David Quinn. Is he, is it Gallant or a bust for me? I don't really know. 
uh definitely torts is not part of the equation also Agreed. a lot of a lot of like rangers facebook is so up in arms about getting messy the job messy is not going to get the job i don't know who else to tell god, you god i hope not mark messy is i mean you can quote me on this mark messy is not going to be the next head coach of the rangers it's just not going to happen no matter how many times you, you, you post on facebook about it and post memes about it about the team being soft and messy is being the ultimate leader it's not going to happen it's just not happening so and also, Wayne Gretzky is kind of the best player of all time. Was he a great coach? I don't think so. So, <laughs> so you can't you can't compare the two. And is it Galaner Bus? No. Is he the best option right now? I mean, maybe that's why Ryan and I were kind of on the on the same side of I we were kind of thinking that he would stay behind the bench for one more season because mm-hmm. there really aren't that many great options to replace him. And if let's say Gallant does a workout, well then now you're paying multiple coaches for do it, to do nothing. So is it Gallant a bust? I mean, I guess judging <laughs> off the list of potential candidates, but eh, we'll see. So you so you definitely feel like offense is the issue that in terms of Shesterkin and then whoever you get as your backup and then the names you're bringing along on the back end, you feel like for the team to take the next step, it's going to have to be the offense that figures it out. It's going to have to be because you saw it throughout a large portion of the season where the Rangers just couldn't just couldn't get that last goal. They were in a lot of close games and there was a lot of situations in which they were either tied or down a goal and they just couldn't crack that 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 one that they needed. And that is really something that the that the next coach will have to figure out is how to get them to score that extra goal, to score to finally crack that ceiling. And get them to, because that's really what separates them from from taking that next step. Because the defense, for the most part, has looked pretty good, especially with Fox. And when you get Lindgren back, and Kadri Miller's look good, and when Truba comes back, that's a really good top four. And the bottom six could be reunion, could be uh, could be somebody else. Uh, the the bottom the top six, for the most part, looks okay. So now the now your focus is on the offense because. Blackwell was good for like two weeks on offense. He couldn't stop scoring goals, but he kept being inserted into top minutes and he didn't do a whole lot. Brett Howden can't score goals. You got the bottoms. The bottom six needs to be able to drive their own line. They need to be able to generate that extra goal when you need it the most. You see it in Vegas a lot. Vegas, yeah. Vegas's bottom six can drive the offense and they can score that extra goal that the, that the Rangers bottom six just can't do. And that's really what separates a really good team from just an average team. And that's going to be the next coach to figure out. So that's a good way to transition to talking about the Vegas and Minnesota series, because that was a really exciting game. A 0-0 game that goes into overtime is always going to be very, very exciting. And I think it's a good way to talk about, like you were saying, offense. And the thing about Vegas is they come at you in waves. It is just never ending. Those guys are constantly going up and down the ice and they turn every game into a track meet because they have the legs to do it. And like you said, they have enough guys in their bottom six, the Alex talks of the world who have enough uh, offensive ability that if you constantly give them chances, eventually they're going to bury one. And one of the things that's really interesting about Vegas is They've done a really good job of prolonging their window. They didn't just take their first year where they made the cup final and say, all right, we're content. We'll figure it out. They've constantly made an effort to keep improving the team and preserving their chances of winning. Do I think they've always done it in the best of ways? No, they really shouldn't have given Petrangelo that contract. He's been actively bad for them this year. You probably would have been better off with Nate Schmidt, who's with Vancouver now, as opposed to him, because you'd have about $5 million more million to play with in terms of your roster. But Vegas has built one of the best rosters in the league through true scouting and trades, really. I mean, yeah, they drafted a few guys, but they traded them for bigger names, whether you talk about Pacioretty or um, you trade for Alec Martinez. They have identified players who fit what they want to do. I think a lot of the frustration we had with the Rangers this year was they just had a bunch of guys. The pieces didn't all fit together, and there wasn't really an effort to get the pieces where they needed to be. There wasn't, all right, this guy's our shooter, this guy's our distributor, this guy's our puck retriever on every line. That's something Vegas has down to a science. Look what they did with Chandler Stevenson, who was a fourth-line center playing 11 minutes a night for the Capitals. He was a 50-point player playing between Pacioretty and um, Mark Stone this year. 
because he knew exactly what he needed to do and the team knew what they needed from him. I want to see something like that from the Rangers where they identify someone who has a very specific skill set. They think they can do something with him. They just need to put him in the right situation. Well, the biggest turning point for Vegas was this Mark Stone trade because yeah. they gave up some picks. They gave up uh, some prospects, with, you know, some really good picks and prospects to get the best two-way winger in the entire sport. And yeah. Ottawa trading him, again, there's so many questions in Ottawa and there will remain questions <laughs> forever. But Mark, the Mark Stone trade was so huge for them because now they have their, their two-way cornerstone. Mark Stone is, and I'll say it again, the best two-way winger, potentially even the best two-way player in the sport. I guess it's a 1A, 1B situation with Patrice Bergeron, but they're, they're pretty much tied for that top spot. And so when you have a guy like that on the team, everything becomes easier. Everything becomes, you know, Mark Stone, whether that be in the locker room or on the ice, Mark Stone is the best on that team. And, that, and then once you have that number one, everything else kind of falls into place. Okay, well, if he's, if he's one, then we can, it's a lot easier to get a number four than it is to get that number one. Definitely. So what, what, once you have that number one, then building a building out your roster becomes a lot easier. And that's what Vegas has done. They've built a lot of their their depth. They they got to the cup final in the first year with to the surprise of literally everybody. But <laughs> but then they built off of that. They got Mark Stone. They got, they got, they got Petrangelo, obviously, this season, but they also just built off of that current roster, and now look at them. So is it going to work out long-term? We'll see. Um, but right now, that's when you have your number one uh, on offense as well as, I guess, getting your number one on Petrangelo, who's been, who was phenomenal in St. Louis. I don't know what's been kind of plaguing him in Vegas so far. I would imagine that he figures it out, maybe if not this season, the next season, once everybody gets a full off season and full training camp. Um, maybe he's playing with an injury. We don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll know. We'll know after the, after the fact. And I think, I think we'll figure it out eventually, but that's, this is what happens when you get your number one in both places. And you also have flurry and you also have uh, Robin Leonard, two very good goaltenders. Once you have number ones in all three of those categories, everything else is much easier. Do you think, I think the Rangers have that. We you you're building out around Panarin, you're building out around Fox, and you're building out around Shesterkin. Now Panarin drives play in a different way than Stone. He's obviously not as good defensively. There really isn't anyone as good defensively on the wing as Stone. But from a building block standpoint, I feel like the Rangers have their foundational pieces. It's just a matter of putting in what needs to go around them to be successful. Yeah, and that's a big question for Chris Drury. Is will is yeah. is he going to be able to do that? because it's a lot easier said than done. You can't just be like, okay, well, you know, we can, it's very easy to think abstractively, ab abstractly and, <laughs> and, and say, okay, well, we just need this, this type of player, this kind of player and everything will go peaches and roses. It's a lot harder in practice. And for Chris Drury, that's going to be one of his biggest, biggest things on his agenda is, okay, well, we have Panarin, we have Adam Fox uh, and also Ryan Lindgren has played well and, and Truba and, you know, all these guys. And we have Shesterkin. Now his, pro now his biggest problem is, okay, well, now we have to figure out what our second center is going to be. Is it going to be Ryan Strom? Is it going to be somebody else? Is who's going to, who's going to be that fourth line player that can drive, that can drive play on that line. Cause it's, it's not Brad Hound. Tell you that right now. So, <laughs> Chris Drury has to find players either on the market or on, on trades that can do what he is looking for in, in, in roster construction. And again, like it's, it's, it's a lot easier to do in NHL 21. It's a lot easier to think <laughs> about it in, in a broad term, but finding the exact pieces that you need is a lot harder than you know, that it might, might look. So that's going to be one of his biggest things is, okay, well, he has number ones in each of his critical positions. Now it's a matter of getting the right people surrounding that top talent to bring this team to a different level. Definitely going to be an interesting summer for the Rangers. Lots of cap space, all their draft picks, a bundle of prospects. They could dramatically alter the roster very quickly this summer. In terms of the Florida series between Tampa and Florida, it's really conflicting 
interest because it's hard to compare the two because Florida is kind of a small market team that whenever they have had a splash, they've really had to overpay like they did for Bob. And Tampa, I think Tampa is the consensus best drafting team in the league, right? They constantly find guys, whether you talk about a point, a Sorelli, trading for Druen for Sergeyev when Druen was like a consensus top five prospect in the entire sport. They just have done a masterful job of identifying lesser appreciated talent for obvious reasons. Point went in the second round because he's 5'10". Sergeyev was underdrafted because he's a shorter defenseman who doesn't hit. Sorelli, shorter guy. All of these things, I want to see the Rangers get over their their obsession with big guys who throw their body. Brett Howden might be big and be able to throw his body. He can't get the puck. The reason he's throwing his body is because he can't win a puck battle to save his life. You know why they drafted Lieber Hayek? Because he's tall. I just want to see some logic about the direction of the team in relation to where hockey's going. Hockey's just going to keep getting faster and smaller. It's not going to go back to the Dylan McElraths of the world. You're never going to see a defenseman who's six foot five, 240 pounds go in the top 10 again. You're just not. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's going to be another thing that the scouting uh, spots have to figure out is Tampa Bay has done a really good job of, okay, well, who's the best player? Yeah. That's number one. And maybe like down in the fifties of, importance they're like okay well what are, what are his physical metrics but the number one critical thing that that Tampa Bay looks at is how good can this guy skate how good can this guy play the game of hockey how good can this guy score or stop pucks or etc everything else is is secondary to them and I think that's why they've been able to, to draft so well is because the 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 200 hockey men trademark of course uh <laughs> the, the conversation from them is okay well you need tall guys or whatever, or whatever but like it's small guys can't play the game of hockey which is clearly not true uh but it's it's slowly starting to shift you see some teams now drafting quote-unquote you know smaller guys um but like especially in sp- it's in some sports and obviously in basketball size will always matter, especially if you're a center or a power forward, you need to be a taller per you need to be a taller guy to grab the rebounds. Sure. But in, te- but in sports like hockey, I mean, what does a five ten player not have that like a six one player does what longer bones? Like, like what, like what, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me why, so many hockey people are still enthralled with the bigger player when you can't like size is not going to win you hockey games to win a hockey game. What do you need to do? Score more goals than the other team. That is mission one. That's, that's it. That's all you need. There's, there's no secondary thing of, okay, well, if you score three less goals, but you have 18 more hits, then you still win the game. There's nothing like that. So you need guys that, that know how to score goals. On every line on your team, point blank, that's the end of the conversation. Because if you don't, then you don't score enough goals and you lose the hockey game. That's it. So when when people finally get on board with that, then we'll start seeing more draft uh, draft strategies like Tampa Bay. Until then, Dylan McElrath. I don't know. Hey, you are preaching to the choir. I, I, it's I just the perfect example. They were so fed up with Howden being bad. They moved him to the wing. They had Kevin Rooney playing center. You know who they could have played on that wing? They could have played Kratzov a week earlier, but they waited and waited. And Kratzov can actually drive play. And you saw it with two anchors on the line with him. He was able to keep them around 50% of the scoring chances because Vitaly Kratzov actually knows how to play hockey. He is not just a guy with some size. Yeah, he's a taller guy. I think he's six foot one, six foot two, but he can actually play. I want to see the Rangers make a conscious effort to have a fourth line that can play. It'd be nice if they can hit and do the things of a checking line like the Blake Colvin, Barkley, Goudreau, Yarny, Gord line did for Tampa. But I just want to have a line that can play, not two anchors and someone trying to drag them around. And 
it's weird because we've seen the Rangers have good fourth lines in recent history with the same brain trust. The same brain trust, I mean, Gorton was the assistant GM at the time, but the same brain trust put together the Dom Moore, Derek Dorsett, Brian Boyle fourth line, which is the ideal fourth line where, yeah, they can throw the body around, but they can actually play hockey. And I just want to see the Rangers take a step in that direction as opposed to the, let's get Ryan Reeves in here to play with Vitaly Kraftsov and Kevin Rooney. I just... I want to see good decisions, not, I'm trying to think of what the word is, stubborn decisions also. I mean, I'll bring it back to Call of Duty here real quick, right? Like if, you, <laughs> if, if you're playing, if you're playing Warzone and you're playing with a team, would you rather your teammates not be able to win a gunfight or would you <laughs> rather them be able to win a gunfight? It's the same thing in, in, in hockey. Do you want a, a star player to play with two other line mates that can't score by themselves? Or would you rather have somebody there that can kind of do their own thing and you don't have to worry about them every single minute and not have to hold their hand. It's the same process where you need players on the team that you don't need us. You don't need it's it's not like kindergarten where everybody's holding hands, walking together on a straight line. You need people that can do their own thing that can within the pro within the within the game. And you don't have to be watching them every every second and worrying about what they do next because you trust them to be able to to do their own thing and do it well so that's really the that's really the biggest thing for the rangers right now is well especially in the bottom six you mentioned that kravtsov is playing with people that can't drive their own line so he has to slow his own game down and hold their hands and while while they're playing out there on the ice if you give Kravtsov better line mates where he doesn't have to do that, you'll see how much better one Kravtsov is going to play and the rest of the line is going to play because now they have their own fluidity. They have their own style of play and nobody is anchored down by anybody else. We're in the same opinion here. Before I get you out of here, Andrew, I've asked every single person who's come on during the playoffs this question. What is the ideal playoff series you would like to see purely from an entertainment perspective? Uh, that's, that's a tough one for sure. Um, I mean, I, I would imagine that Colorado and Vegas are going to yeah. meet, and that's going to be a, 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 an incredible series. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of series that, especially early on, that are just going to be so much fun to watch. Toronto and Montreal is going to be such a fun, such a fun series to watch. Um, I, I did pick uh, I did pick Toronto to beat Montreal, but I also picked Edmonton to beat Toronto. I did uh, too. After that round, which I mean, again, don't tell Leafs Twitter, or maybe do, but like, uh, I, I, I that's gonna be a fun one. Um, ultimately, I picked Colorado and, and Tampa Bay uh, to make it to the final with Colorado winning. Um, but I think a lot of these series are are gonna be a, are just we saw it. Florida and Tampa Bay was, was electric. The, the perfect hockey game. Maybe some better officiating next time would be great. But yeah. the the in terms of the play itself, you couldn't ask for for more. That game was so back and forth, so much fun to watch. Minnesota Vegas, there was one goal scored, but the game was so much fun to watch. It was 200 feet for 60 plus minutes. I mean, that game was incredible. So in terms of dream matchup, I think we're already seeing some dream matchups. We're seeing Tampa Bay and Florida play for the first time ever in a playoff series. That's been incredible to watch. We're, we're seeing a lot of these really, really great matchups. And we're, I think we're, we're only scratching the surface as to what is to come. The ones I've gotten, I've gotten Vegas, Colorado a lot. I've gotten a cup final of Colorado and Carolina, Colorado and Tampa. I've gotten a few people say the Oilers and the Leafs in the conference final to be the team to come out of the North. That has a lot of potential for some fun, mostly because the Toronto media doesn't handle that stuff well, especially if the Leafs were like, if the Leafs were down three games to two going into game six, I think there'd be actual chaos in the streets. Like you said, this is a great time for hockey. As the game has gotten to this more speed and skill-centric style, it's never been more appealing to watch, even on TV. Like, yes, hockey is the best sport to see in person, but even on TV, last night's game, the Florida-Tampa game, that translated really well to TV. That was 
exciting as hell. And it's good we've gotten rid of some of the boring people who have dragged on broadcast. So the fact Mike Milbury isn't calling games makes the broadcast and that being much racist better. on TV. Yeah, I mean that's yes, that's <laughs> yeah, lit- yeah, openly racist. Okay, like this isn't even an opinion. Like Mike Milbury factually openly racist on national TV. The fact that he's not doing that anymore. Yeah, I mean that's good. I'd say personally. It definitely helps make the broadcast more enjoyable for everyone. Andrew, would you like to plug Chell Squared before I get you out of here? Sure. Uh, Chell Squared is on every possible streaming platform, and if it's not, let me know, and I'll put it on wherever that that you listen to podcasts on. Um, it's an NHL podcast where it's not it's not just Rangers. I had Ryan Mead on. We talked a lot of Rangers last episode, um, but every every episode is, is something different. Um, I've had Brett Hull on the show. I've had Paolo Fontaine on the show. Um, I've had um, uh, Bill Clement on the show recently. Uh, so there's uh, every time, every episode is, is something in its own right. And whether that be, let's say, Brian Mudrick, I had on a little bit ago to talk Montreal. There's some, there's somebody, I bring on somebody cool to talk about their team or if it's somebody really cool like a uh, LaFontaine where it, it, it's about their career and everything uh, broadly so it's it's super cool uh also sponsored by Manscaped of course you got to plug uh code Chell C-H-E-L for 20% off and free shipping on your order um but uh but it's it's hockey talk man and it's it's as professional as it gets I get some I get good people on and and we talk some hockey so um, I try to do it every week. Um, I've have been slacking a little bit, but but uh, with with work, with work and everything else, it has been a little bit difficult to, to do that every week. But I'm trying my best to, to get it out every week. Um, but some really good people on the show, man. I don't get just anybody. It's really top shelf people, and we we talk hockey. It's fun. It is like I said during the first part of the conversation. You can tell how much Andrew loves hockey. It comes across in his show, and it's a really good... It is not the conventional... So much of the hockey landscape in North America is driven by, like, three podcasts. The one that shall not be named, 31 Thoughts, and that's really it. If you want to say Dmitry Filipovich's for analytics talk, but just to hear insightful hockey conversation is very hard to do, and it shouldn't be, and... You, like me, are just trying to make the discourse a little bit smarter. Help everybody understand the game a little bit better. And it's why I like your show so much. Thank you for coming on, Andrew. I appreciate you saying that, man. Anytime. I will see you guys tomorrow. We are going to be talking about the Minnesota Wild with my friend Mackenzie and just how much fun Kirill Kaprizov is to watch. I will see you guys then. Have a good one.